Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. I am uh, excited. I know that we've talked about it. I announced the official release uh, a little over a week ago, uh, but it's in my hands now. Book number 24, uh, Academic Apartheid. This deals with Specific academic mechanisms or educational mechanisms within the U.S. public education system that directly, uh, disproportionately impacts African Americans, especially African American black men, African American males. Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. Uh, I want to thank everybody for checking in. It's been a while since I've done a live from the office. I've done a lot of recording, moving around, driving, uh, some recorded in the office, but uh, there's a reason for that. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of transition happening uh, simultaneously. So it is definitely uh, a lot going on and there's only so much time in the day. And I like to, when I sit down and actually do a live stream to really be uh, uh, able to give it some time and to sort of uh, engage uh, those who are paying attention and listening. And so I haven't been able to really do that the way I want to, but I'm here right now. Uh, Before I move forward, as you can see in that intro, uh, we've been uh, we released uh, Academic Apartheid a while ago, but we're still uh, talking about it. And right now, I'm currently writing book number 25, uh, Chasing the Ghost, The Quest for Black Wealth, uh, which I'm excited about. Book number 25, you know, when I set out to do this, I had no idea uh, that this is where we would be. And I'm nowhere close to being finished. I'm nowhere close to uh, contributing everything I have uh to print. Um, And I'm excited about what the next 10 to 20 to 25 years looks like as far as that's concerned. Uh, But if you want to get your copy of Academic Apartheid, if you have children in school, if you have grandchildren in school, uh, if you are in any way having someone you love participating, there's no audio. Let me check and see what's going on. Okay, I'm showing that uh, I've got audio here. Uh, So I'm not sure. Um, Can somebody else check in and tell me what they're getting? Because I'm showing that the audio is okay. Okay, then, Alexandra, they can hear me. So it's something going on with your on your end. Uh, okay, so uh, anyway, uh, I just shared the link with you uh, in the description uh, in the chat of how you can get an academic apartheid, uh, and I'm, I want you to participate in what I'm doing in book number twenty-five. Like I said, I had no idea when I started this that I would be here. And I'm nowhere close to being finished in what I have to offer uh, in books, in in in, in uh, academic papers, in video. And we are really working now as part of this transition to bring you more polished uh, material uh, in the near future. We are both going to be doing the Black Voice radio show Reloaded uh, with Michael Jordan and myself. And this Saturday for the first uh, time, we're going to be doing the teachers uh, which is my Dr. Uh, Michael Blanchard and myself. Um, that launches this Saturday morning. Uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more to bring other voices on uh, to share different perspectives and also uh, to collaborate, but to uh, bring more dynamics 
uh, to what we're trying to do here and hopefully being able to present things better uh, and to uh, really and truly make a difference. Uh, as far as book number 25, uh, I've mentioned this before and I want to invite everybody while we're here uh, to be a part of it. And what we're doing with this is something I've never done before, but we're offering sponsorships on the book. And what this looks like is you can sponsor space in the book, um, which is going to be a beast. I'm, I'm so excited about it. I can't wait to get back to the video series that outlines what the book is going to hold. So you can really get an idea. But so far in this series, we've talked about everything from the black codes, convict leasing, redlining, reconstruction, all those things that have played a role in inhibiting uh, the accumulation of black wealth while gaslighting blacks into saying it's because you're lazy, it's because you're criminal minded, it's because you are dependent on the government without really looking at the total picture. Do we have some issues? Absolutely. We talk about those as well, but we also talk about solutions in the second half of the book. It's about how to win regardless. And so I'm excited about it. But you can literally sponsor a space in this book and you can literally use that space to pay tribute to someone who has made a difference in your life. If we've gotten anywhere worth mentioning, somebody had something to do with it outside of ourselves. Somebody whispered in our ear as a kid, somebody mentored us, somebody stepped in where somebody wasn't. And you wanna pay tribute to them, or you've done something you're so excited about that you wanna celebrate it, you can even do that. And there's no minimum, absolutely no minimum, and the link for it is in the description box. So if you're watching this video, go to the description box and you can see it and you can go ahead and you can sponsor. That's no minimum. Now, obviously, for those who want to sponsor, uh, you know, more, there's no minimum. Literally, if you sponsor 50, 50 cents, you're going to be able to put your name in the book and pay tribute to whoever you want to pay tribute to. But if you sponsor twenty five dollars, you're going to get a copy of the book signed by me. If you sponsor a hundred dollars, you're going to get your own dedicated page, meaning that nobody else will be on your page but you. And you get to pay tribute to whoever you want to on that page. If you sponsor two hundred and fifty dollars, you get your own dedicated page and you get to submit a picture. Uh, and it's up to you however you want to do it. But, you know, I think everybody has somebody, a school teacher, a band teacher, a football coach. Uh, your first boss, your, your business mentor, somebody that literally puts you on the track to heading to where you're heading to or where you're already at and you want to pay tribute to them. This is a way that you can do that uh, and be a part of something that's special to me, my 25th book. Uh, so if you want to do that, click the link, go ahead and do that. And uh, I look forward to it because what happens is after you make the sponsorship, I'm actually personally reaching out to every person who does it so that I can get what you want to put. So I get to read what people are saying to the people who made a difference. And and, I, and I've shared this probably before, but probably the one that threw me off is somebody actually sponsored a space in my book to pay tribute to me. Uh, you know, I mean, and it's not recruiting because the last person, I want you to pay uh, tribute to somebody who literally made a difference. But these, this person said that, what they've been able to get from what I produce and what I present on my different websites, in my books, on my different YouTube channels, that they really have been blessed and they want to thank me. And they did that. And I thought that was awesome. Um, but anyway, that's that. So I want to get to something uh, that I think really needs to be discussed outside of the gossip angle uh, and the talk angle and the celebrity angle and the true issues right here. Something that we're discussing uh, when I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Cleo Monago uh, last week and really along with filmmaker Tony Lindsay, and we talked about uh, our codependency on whiteness and we talked about a bunch of other things as far as our language, our culture, our values, our interests, our principles. Uh, we really touched on this as well. And so I want to get to it. But uh, Boosie took to the airwaves, I think started on Twitter, going off on, I think his name is Masseri. Uh, something like that, the guy who's the CEO of Instagram, which is actually owned by Facebook, by the way, uh, which absolutely makes it even make more sense. But we, what we're saying is simply we can't say what uh, we we want to say with any, with any true conviction if it is in diametric opposition to the status quo or the narrative being pushed by mainstream. Or we're quieted, we're silenced, we're punished. 
we've seen YouTube channels taken down. We've seen Instagram accounts taken, Twitter accounts are taken. And my thing is, I've said this before years ago. I said this before. I said this year before. I mean, uh, years before now that we've got to be careful when we are pushing for other people to be silenced because we don't like what they're saying. Because see that, that, that pendulum swings both ways. And, you know, while I don't like what you're saying, you got a right to say it. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually defend your right to say it. Like I've even said that about people who know me know I don't hold and stand and agree with the way Kevin Samuels does what he does. But when they were talking about canceling him, I was one of the ones that stood up and said, he's got a right to say it. I don't agree with it. And the way that I sit up and I uh, and and I counter it is I give my opinion. I stand up on my convictions. I get to speak what I feel about it. And hopefully uh, there's a balance in presentation and people get to see both sides and see, see ways. But what happens is when you start trying to find ways to counsel somebody so they can't speak, eventually that pendulum swings back around to you. And I'm not saying that Boosie ever did this, but I'm saying that as we as a people got have to be careful about that. They have a right to say what they want, whether we like it or not. Let them say it because I'm going to want to say what I want to say, and I don't want anybody canceling me. But now we know for a fact that that's not going to be the case. We don't say what we want. That's why most of my content on Real Radical Issues isn't on, on this channel anymore. It's on Rumble. Why? Because at this particular point, Rumble, Rumble is anything goes. You say what you feel, you believe. Nobody's content is being censored, canceled. Nobody's being punished. Well, that's not the case here. Now, I think there has to be some rules if you want, you know, balance or whatever, uh, you know, on how you personally handle somebody, the kind of language you use. I think people ought to be able to control that. But like, for instance, there are mechanisms I can use. It, there are certain things that I can use uh, to control what comments will uh, post on my uh, videos and what comments won't. You can use words if a word if, if a, a word uh, that you've blocked is in the comment, the comment won't show up. So there's ways to control that. But what they don't want is uh, content that is... Right. You're right, Erlene. I mean, it's 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 crazy. Uh, right now, pe people are easily offended. And what happens a lot of times is someone can be offended by something you posted that had absolutely nothing to do with them as an individual, but they didn't like it, so they go report it. And because the truth of the matter is YouTube, Instagram, Twitter or Facebook do not have the manpower to actually go back and personally review it. They will literally pull your content based off a complaint and then they're running through an algorithm automatically, still not manually, automatically. And if it's anything in there that sounds close to being something that goes against the community guidelines, they'll pull it. And if you're not careful, they'll give you a strike for it. I'm still on a 90-day probation right now for something I posted a month or so ago. I still got about another 35, 40 days before I'm off probation and whatever. And it's crazy because you guys have seen what I put up. I'm never per really personally going after anybody unless you just really proven that you are anti-black, whether you're black or whatever color. If you prove you're anti-black, yeah, I probably came after you personally because I'm calling you out. But it's still never, never really calling anyone any names. Uh, I don't use the C word. I don't use any of those things because I don't like the tone of it. And I don't like the energy I have to use to, to speak it. I'd rather sit up and just call a spade a spade and say, this is what you're doing. And this is what it means and move on. But the negative name calling, uh, I, I, I say that for other people. I, I, I don't say you shouldn't do it. I just say it's not me. So why are you sitting up tagging my stuff? Because somebody complained about it. But here's the thing. What Lil Boosie is being, for those who haven't heard, his second Instagram account has gotten snatched. So his first one got snatched, and then he put up another one, build back up a following. And the day that his movie releases, that one is pulled down. That is a direct, calculated move, systemic move that's sitting up saying, how dare you speak out of what, against what we sit up and say is okay openly using our platform to make your convicted stance. So what we're going to do is we're not going to just pull it. We're going to wait until the most inopportune 
uh, time to pull it into where it's going to have the most negative impact. And it's going to be at a time when you really need to use the platform the most. And then we're going to send a message out to all the others who are thinking that this is a good place to build up a following and then say things that move against what the mainstream narrative says. Now, what in case you haven't followed uh, Boosie, Boosie has been very vocal about Dwayne Wade and how he and Gabrielle Union are, are managing their son uh, about things that uh, uh, thing that uh, Lil Nas X is always doing and, and things of that nature. He's been very vocal about the manner in which uh, the LGBTQ community is pushing their agenda in the faces of the masses. Uh, and I've been one that I've been vocal to and no one gets attacked. Like if I, if you go to my page, if you go to any one of my websites, especially the Odyssey Project where everything is about the black community and you look at for the, the comments that are the most vitriolic, the most hateful and the most enforced. In other words, they show up in large numbers. It's going to be something where I had something to say about the feminization of the black male image, uh, the pushing of the homosexual agenda. And again, anybody who knows me knows that I, and, and, and my problem with it is the negative false titles and intimidation and shaming techniques that are used. For instance, that term homophobic. Well, being a person whose expertise is in the area of mental health and having studied in great depth uh, the DSM, I understand that a phobia is actually a, you know, a, a true mental condition and it is an irrational fear of something. And the way that you define irrational fear for this particular purpose isn't that you get very scared. It's that the fear that you have of this particular thing goes beyond any reason that the average person it's not seeing a spider for arachnophobia it's not seeing a spider and go oh my god and jumping on the couch arachnophobia is you can see a spider on the television break out into a cold sweat get chills and literally become uh dysfunctional and unable to really truly act that's a phobia simply being afraid of something isn't even a phobia but then when you look at it uh, the vast majority of things that are classified as phobias, as far as homophobia, aren't really fears. Simply, I disagree. And anybody who knows me knows I have no fear of any type of individual. I definitely don't have fear of homosexuals. I grew up around. I grew up in the black church. So I grew up around gays all the time. A gay person, is to me, is just a gay person. It's no different than anybody else. I may not agree with certain things. I may not agree to a lifestyle. In my personal opinion, when it comes to uh, homosexuality, it's specifically the way it's aimed at our young black males, where we are automatically in a deficit and we are we are already struggling with trying to develop good, strong men who our women can depend on. And then they're being targeted and they're being targeted at ages where we shouldn't even be focusing on sexuality. That's what the same thing that Boosie was talking about is. Why are we targeting these children so early to talk about heterosexuality or homosexuality? Why aren't we allowing kids to be kids? Why aren't we allowing kids to develop into what they would naturally develop to without any influence? Because the truth of the matter is, if you study the science, no matter how sexually confused or, or child may question their sexuality, if you leave them alone and you don't contribute either from a heterosexual perspective or a homosexual perspective or anything in between, 80% of those who, who are going through some form of uh, sexual confusion or uh, trying to figure themselves out normally will gravitate towards their natural assignment. So why are we overwhelmingly pushing an agenda that put that's being... Uh, in a situation where kids who aren't mentally capable of processing it are pushing over because see what you create is this idea that it's a cool thing. And so you got a lot of people gravitating to something without understanding the
the gravity of what they're gravitating to because what they're not telling you is it comes with a lot of mental issues, a lot of stresses, a lot of different things. Nobody wants to talk about. I know this because I have to work with people who are gay. I have to work with people who are in their 30s and 40s now and wrestling with decisions they made as young people. I And, and my, my thing is, I'm not here to tell you what you should be. I, that has never been my thing. I'm not here to tell anybody what they should be. What I'm saying is, you got to be careful how early you put it on it. You got to be aware that the media is definitely pushing agenda and it's definitely aimed at young black males. And if we're not careful, we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have a reverse situation. And then that's exactly what they want, a feminized male image. And when I talk about feminized male image, I'm not talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about a male image that has no potency, a male image that has no power, a male image that has not the, the appearance are the symbol of someone who is willing to stand up and be unapologetically a man, which means I will fight and defend and even die for what I believe in when it comes to protecting the women and the children and the elderly in my community. See, they don't, they don't, they fear that. So what they want is the docile, even no matter how boisterous a person may be. What they're willing to do to defend and to fight for something other than what they want personally is what you're looking at. See, I know you can get boisterous when you want to fight for what you want to do and how you want to live your life. I want to know how committed you are to fighting for the whole of the community and not just yourself. See, that's the kind of men we need to be building. And we're at a deficit already. 1.5 million men missing. I don't want to get off of... The, the the path, but I, I wanted to talk about that. My thing is, uh, I have gay members in my family. And I don't say that like, okay, they're over there and I don't deal with it. I deal with the gay members in my family. I talk with the gay members in my family. We're family. I don't treat them any different than anybody else in my family. I have gay friends. I told everybody else. There was a point in time that I roomed with three guys. One of the guys were gay, was gay. And we were close. And we, he and I are still close. We're still friends. We still communicate. And the thing is, unless he comes to me to talk about his personal life, but that's just it. I don't push my heterosexuality. You know, the fact that I'm married to a woman, people assume I'm heterosexual. I am. I'm not bisexual. I'm heterosexual. Uh, but it's not something I have to talk about. I don't have to push it. It's not a part of agenda I push. I'm naturally a man. I do what men do. So why is it that this has to be paraded out, put out, and made in Front Street where our babies can get it, where it's being pushed on devices where our baby can get it? That's the only thing he said. So that's the thing he said. That's the thing he had an issue with. He had an issue with the baby, and and these are all people that I don't even listen to, honestly. You know, uh, I'm an old-school hip-hop head, you know. Uh, there are a few new cats I can listen to, like J. Cole, uh, but there ain't a whole lot out there. But I stand for your right to be able to speak. This is a free country. Now, are you speaking to harm somebody? Are you speaking? Uh, exactly, Erlene. See, if I can weaken the image of the black man, if I can weaken what black boys aspire to be, then I weaken the capacity of black men and even the desire of black men to protect black women. We already got a problem with that now. And again, that comes from the media. This thing that we're dealing with where black men and black women are completely at odds isn't just natural. Yeah, there are a bunch of places where, and I've said that, I wrote about this in my first book, uh, The Invisible Father, Reversing the Curse of a Fatherless Generation. I talked about the failure of black men to, uh, uh, when we uh, abdicated our roles as leaders, as heads of household, as fathers, as providers, as protectors, and we stepped out. But I also acknowledge that we didn't do it solely on our own, that there was some help and that uh, in all in all, we all have some culpability. But I talked about the fact that we need to be better at it. But how can we ever get better at it when there's this constant force that sits up and perpetuates dissension between the two? But more importantly, perpetuates a mindset that says, why would I want to protect them? 
hell, why? I mean, let, let's let's let, let, let's be real. Why am I going to protect someone who I'm in competition with at a certain level? We want the same thing. I see you as competition. I'll laugh and I'll talk with you. I'll kick it with you, but we I can't protect you because I'm in competition with you. And then it goes in so many different levels. Again, somebody's going to paint this as homophobic and I really don't give a damn. The thing is if you if you can look at what I've what I've done and the fact that I literally work with a large number of people who are struggling with that male and female. And when I say struggling, I don't mean that they're struggling because they don't want to be. I'm saying they're struggling because it comes with a lot of emotional baggage that nobody talks about. And it, 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 it comes with that. And, and most people aren't prepared for it, but we're pushing it on babies. That's my problem. I'm not pushing my sexuality on kids. You know, I try to make sure my kids are informed as, as possible. Uh, I, I teach the values, interests, and principles that I hold dear in my house. But I love my kids regardless. And I can tell you that that's going to always be the case. But it doesn't mean I have to fold and sit up and be or pretend to be something I'm not. I have a right. I have a voice. And the problem is they want to quiet the voice of the black man. They want the black man to be docile. They want the black man to be complacent. They want the black man to be compliant. And so when the black man actually stands up and has a freaking opinion of his own, he has to be shut down. Uh, King asked me, am I saying that black men and black women are in competition? No, you missed it. I said that gay black men are not going to want to protect black women. And th that's one of the reasons the agenda is being pushed. Is even if it's not a gay man, let's say it's just a feminized man, the more I can feminize the image, the more that the image or the symbol that young black males aspire to is feminized, taking away the masculine uh, concept or perspective of manhood. And so the only thing that uh, people see as manhood is uh, the fact I can re I can I can uh, reproduce I can procreate, and I'm I'm built like a man, and I have a good job. But there's so much more to being a man. The masculinity is under attack. They use the term toxic masculinity. Well, see, the truth of the matter is the bull crap that black men are doing that isn't right has absolutely nothing to do with masculinity. That's dysfunction. That's toxicity. It's not masculinity, but they want to they want to lump it in with masculinity so they can attack masculinity. No, masculinity is simply the black man functioning in the fullness of who he is. Masculinity is the black man saying, I will cover, I will provide, I will protect, I will love. Not from a sense of romance. I'm not talking about that love. I'm talking about the love that says, no matter how bad it gets, I got you. The, the, no matter what we go through, I got you. That type of love, the love that says that this isn't about a one-time momentary thing. This isn't about how I feel. Because I tell people all the time, when it comes to loving my wife, I don't love my wife based on how I feel. That it has now. While I try to do romantic things for her, and while I try to show uh, that side, that it has nothing to do with the core element of what I'm bringing to the table as a husband. How I feel has absolutely nothing to do with how I perform. Why? Because my feelings will fluctuate. My feelings will isolate based on the moment. You fool around, piss me off. If I'm acting and treating you based on how I feel, we got two or three days where I ain't talking to you. Two or three days where you might have to carry your bags to the car by yourself. Two or three days. No, I treat my wife the same no matter where I'm at and how I feel because my commitment is based on a manhood that says this is what you do. And that's being robbed and ciphered out from the image. And this is just one way that it's being done. So what you have to understand is we're in a fight for survival on both sides. We're in a fight for on both sides. They're in a fight for survival. And I, I'm not just talking about uh, the LGBT community. I'm talking about white males. 
Um, and the declining number of whites. And that's another reason why if you're, if you're not paying attention to the media, again, we're, all, we're talking about all media stuff. If you're not paying attention to the media, watch, watch how heavily they are promoting interracial relationship, especially white and black. That's the big thing. Look at every couple, for the most part, that's being pushed. King, you got a very valid point. Let me pop this up on the screen. This is a very valid point that you're making. Again, uh, there are so many things that we want to talk about. That's why I have a problem with a febophilia. Uh, and a lot of people confuse a febophilia with pedophilia. Pedophilia is uh, being sexually attracted to prepubescent kids, kids who haven't developed sexually at all. Uh, febophilia is the attraction to minors who have developed sexually. So you're talking about predominantly teenagers. Well, the thing is, and that's his idea is if, you know, there's this old bull crap that moves through the hood. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, we need to be honest with ourselves. Everybody that grew up when I grew up heard if she can bleed, she can breathe. Well, see, that's that mentality that has sucked the life out of our community that has made it unsafe for our babies. And it ain't just girls. It's our boys have suffered too, but they suffer in a greater deal of silence because admitting that that happened to you, again, puts you in a position where you're questioning your manhood and your sexuality. And so, uh, it, but even with just the ones that reported, we're talking about one in eight black boys have been molested as a child. One in eight. It is significantly higher uh, for young black girls, anywhere from 40 to 60% of young black girls have experienced it. And all of this stuff is going on. So we talk about this ephebophilia, this whole idea. But the thing is, you're talking about development. You're talking about, there's no way that nine and 10 years old, that a kid is old enough to process what you're pushing at them, the way they are perceiving it doesn't allow them to process it in a way to make a choice. The true make the true matter is that's why there's a natural process in which this thing takes place. It doesn't require influence because it's natural. So the way that you can change that is by redundancy. So if I have a natural process of thinking, a natural process of mental development, a natural process of how I'm coming into my own, the way you interrupt that natural process is through redundantly producing an image, an idea, and a thought pattern that is completely in opposition, in diametric opposition to what I'm automatically going to gravitate towards. So if you want to change my trajectory from what I'm naturally inclined to, you've got to bombard me with an idea of something else. Now, because I'm not old enough to process it, I am going to simply gravitate towards it because it's the idea. It's the trend in my thinking. It's the trend in the culture. It's the trend being pushed. And what we have now is a point where being gay is becoming something that's also becoming cool. Now, I'm not saying that you can't make a decision before 25. I'm saying that all, in most instances, he, he used the number 25 because in many schools of thought, the idea is that you haven't fully developed mentally until you're 25. It doesn't mean that you haven't developed the capacity to process and make decisions. But what it does mean is if that's the case, if that's the back end of it, I doubt if the front end of high decision-making capacity is going to be around the age of nine and 10. Because if that was the case, if someone could do that and they could physically think for themselves, then kids would be doing a lot more and the uh, age of adulthood would be a lot lower uh, because there would be a lot of benefit for, especially in a capitalist society, to benefit off of younger people making grown-up decisions. The truth of the matter is that one of the rules in our house is, you know, uh, culturally, that our daughters, you know, will not be forced out of the house. Um, and that if, if at all possible, we want them to remain in the house until at least 22, 23 years old. Uh, because we want to protect them. The son's 21 years old. That we want you to remain in the house. We don't want you. So that whole idea, you're 18, get out there on your own idea. 
uh, because of my awareness and just simply understanding that at 18, some of the decisions you're going to make are going to be some pretty screwed up decisions. And if all you got is you out there in that world, you can end up in some real bad place. Uh, you can end up in a real bad place if you're making decisions at 18. 18 is not when you need to be on your own. 18 is not when you need to be making life-changing decisions. 18, you need still need guidance. But see, the idea is because 18 is legal, 18 is the legal age because we need you to be able to go out and fight wars. We need you to be able to get out in the workforce. We need you to be able to do things that benefit the economy, the culture, and the nation more than it means to benefit yourself. We need to be nurturing our children, preparing our children, and getting them ready for what's coming. And at 18, they're not ready. Well, if at 18, they're not ready to get out and make decisions about money, make decisions about purchases, make decisions about what they're going to do with their lives for the future. How are they prepared at nine and 10 to make thing, make a decision about what they're going to do with their lives in any way of that grant? Because what you got to understand, let's talk about the spiritual and emotional impact of sexuality. You connect with somebody, you're not just connecting with them physically. You connect with somebody, you connect with them spiritually, you connect with them emotionally. You're literally in many tunes becoming one. You're exchanging things that you leave behind. When, when one person comes, they take something with them. The more fractured you become in that way, the more difficult it becomes to move in life. The more difficult it becomes to create a real, true meaning and relation, meaningful relationship. Why? Because of everything that came before it. And you are ill-equipped with the more fractured you are to maintain a steady and loving and functional relationship. That's just a part of it. And that's what you're inviting kids to get into. Because see, you don't start thinking about your sexuality without thinking about sex. And it's being pushed on them over and over again. We, I had this conversation earlier today. I'm not going to sit up and be disingenuous and act like when I grew up, we didn't have none of that crap. Man, we had Millie Jackson. And we had a few others, you know, sure. Think about a bunch of the songs we had. Well, you know, hey, pull up to the bumper. We know what that song was about. I mean, it was very clear if you once you grew up and you really listened to it. But the idea is. You had to really know something to really listen to it and understand that it was about something because it was veiled. But if you wanted something completely unveiled, you had Millie Jackson. Well, let's just say let's let's compare uh, the cultures. Millie Jackson in the 70s. Cardi B in 2000s. In the 2020s. Millie Jackson was probably worse than Cardi B, honestly, with content. The difference was Millie Jackson was understood off limits, meaning that if you were listening to it as a kid, you snuck into your parents' stash and got it out and played it while they weren't there. And it was understood. But the vat and the reason that it didn't have the same impact as what's happening now is because that was the only thing you were going to find. Well, what's in that stash? Everything you heard on an everyday basis was going to counter that. Again, we're talking about repetition and redundancy. And so there's a difference. Millie Jackson, an understood off limits. You know, I'm going to sneak off and go listen to it. Just like Red Fox and Richard Pryor. My grandfather had all those LP, Red Fox and Richard Pryor and stuff they would say, but you had to sneak off when they weren't at home and listen to it. it but what you were going to be listening to 90% of the time when you turn on the radio wasn't what you're turning on and listening to now. What you were going to see when you turned on the television wasn't going to be what you see now. Highly sexualized content where different perspectives are being pushed on you and there's no way to stop it unless you're literally in front of your chit, your children 100% of the time. They Now the thing is, your kid don't have to be in front of the television to watch television. They can watch it on their phones. They can download the app and watch everything from HBO on across the map on their phones and they can download it. You can take it off and block it. They can find a way to come in. And it's a constant thing. That's something that Marion and I work heavily on is educating kids. Now let's go back to Boosie one more time. Cause this is what it was about. He has a very valid point. Now I show now again, Facebook owns Instagram. It's important to understand this. Facebook owns Instagram. Facebook has data. 
that has been it's been released uh, because of the Public Information Act uh, had data and pages long before now that show that Instagram was having a negative influence on teenage girls. They didn't change it. Why? Because they literally bought Instagram and amped Instagram up to compete for teenage uh, teenage subscribers and uh, uh, account holders because they were losing the young crowd on Facebook. So Facebook was going to be for the more mature audience and Instagram was going to be for the younger audience. But what happens is there is a high level of toxicity. Uh, there's a high level of suicide. There's a high level of uh, uh, depression amongst teen girls specifically. And all of this is available and Facebook knows it. So we understand the power of manipulation. We understand the power of influence of media as a propaganda, I mean, a uh, propaganda instrument. We have to be very careful. It's, it's, it's now where if you're not careful and you are allowing uh, your children to be reared by social media and their devices, it's no telling what you end up with. And I look at, we've got kids who are extremely entitled kids who are immensely disrespectful, kids who uh, think life is just going to fall into their lap and don't want to do anything. And the other part of the group are simply happy with being mediocre and average. I, I, I said this earlier today, we have reached a point where being average and mediocre is no longer an, an insult. What in the world can you do and excel at where you're average? What in the world can you possibly do where you're going to have the best you can possibly have in this life by being mediocre? It's a default. It's a default for just showing up and doing what everybody else does at the bare minimum. That's what it is. You know, can you be average at something or can you even be below average at something? Yeah, there are, th there are things that I've gotten started at that I sucked at, but the very idea that I was average or below average drove me until I became an expert at it. And that's drive. That's what it is. And that's what we should have in our kids. But many of them don't. Many of them think I'm going to go get cute and make a million dollars on Instagram. Why? Because that's the bull crap that they're being pushed. I'm going to be an Instagram influencer. I'm going to be an Instagram model. And it's up to us as parents to mitigate the negative impact of things that our kids are exposed to. Oh, man, I, 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 I haven't Googled porn, but I, I, uh, I, don't, I don't even want to Google it. I can just imagine. I can only imagine what that's like. But again, I want to truly, truly bring home the point that, you know, no matter how you feel about Boosie, whatever his, his name is, it went from Lil Boosie to Boosie Badass, whatever Boosie is this week or this year, however you feel about him, the thing is he should have a right to stand up for something he believes in without being uh, buck broken for not folding and rolling with the punches. I mean, rolling with the status quo. And I think that's something that we've got to be aware of. That's why I'm so happy to be a part of all black media where we're building our own platforms, where we're doing our own thing. Uh, it's so important to understand that just because it's out there doesn't mean it's right. Just because it's accepted doesn't mean it's right. Those are the things that you have to be aware of. It's just because it's accepted doesn't mean it's right. We have to be able to believe in what we believe in. So that's one of the things they did with us as slaves. They took away our values, our interests, our principles, our identity, our name, our spirituality, um, 
our history. They killed our griots. Our griots, if you don't know what a griot, a griot was a person who was the historian. They told the stories. They kept us reminded of who we are. They, they punished and killed them until there were no more griots. And then they start to inculcate and push a Eurocentric idea of what is. That's why we gravitate towards light skin. That's why we gravitate towards uh, uh, Eurocentric features, Eurocentric concepts. That's why everything that we think about beautiful comes from a Eurocentric idea. That's why there's so much self-hate. That's why we can sit up in the Eurocentric of what's uh, classy, the Eurocentric of idea of what's beautiful, the Eurocentric idea of what's professional. Uh, that's why we're just now getting the right to wear our freaking hair the way it grows out of our head is because of everything being Eurocentric and centered and pushed upon us. And we haven't, haven't, it hasn't been done so long that we're literally sitting up and accepting it. That's the danger of redundancy without it being checked. That's the danger of redundancy without having the wherewithal to sit up and arrest the idea before it sinks into your subconscious. Because if you keep it going and you don't challenge it, if you don't counter it with a new reality, it becomes reality. See, I'm old enough to remember where 90% of the crap that you see on, on the screen nowadays was unacceptable. Man, if you walk by a TV and heard the word ass, you look, you down there, just your mouth dropped and you fell out. And you was almost like you felt you were going to get in trouble for the TV saying it. And now we're in a world where everything goes. You can hear anything on freaking TV. You know, sex stuff you learned about, in, in, you know, as adults, little kids are talking about now. You know, what the hell you know about Congolese? What the hell you know about Felicia? What the hell? Why are we even having this conversation? Because it's being pushed. It's being pushed. And just because it's happening doesn't mean it's acceptable. We're in a state of antinomianism where everybody's doing whatever the hell they want to do and everybody's pushing the live and let live idea. But the problem is, as social creatures, there has to be a code. The live and let live thing is great for individuals, but it doesn't work for a society. It doesn't work for a group. There has to be a code. There has to be a code of conduct. There has to be protocols of action. There has to be a clear understanding of what we will do, what we will not do. When those barriers are broken down and nobody is operating by the code, you have no true direction. You have no sense of identity and purpose. And you cannot organize and unify because the differences make you sink into your individuality and you will not accept anybody who is not where you are in your thinking because it challenges you to think different. And that moves against us. Man, talk about it. Uh, viewing, viewing YouTube. Look, I'm going to throw up what you said. Not much direct and intentional rearing training, especially financial literacy. I literally created uh, a guide that helps parents bring up and teach uh, financial literacy to kids and teens. Um, and the thing is, it's where we it's where we are, are at our weakest. Yeah, absolutely, Erlene, even the cartoons. And the thing is. Again, this isn't about judging somebody for their life decisions. It's about that should be a code. That should be an understanding. Kids are off limits. When I grew up, that was the one thing that was there. Kids and actually women and kids were off limits. And now everybody's fair game. You know, you got your kids asking you for stuff. You go, where you even get that from? And hey, look, this, you know. We're at the point where you got people buying six and seven year olds $1,100 phones. We have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. Shoot, I'm going to get ready to get off of here, but I just had to touch that.
you know, I don't know how this is going to go over, but I had to touch that. Um, and we need to be aware. We need to actually get behind all, uh, all black media, out black media, new black media, uh, those of us who are willing to speak uh, truth unapologetically, those of us who are willing to call a spade, those of us who are willing to stand up and fight, uh, we need to make sure we have these platforms on which to do so because they're not going to let us fight uh, against them on their platforms, on platforms that they own. And the thing is, you got to understand that these platforms are not ran by anyone who looks like us or understands us. And we are threatening by our very existence. We are threatening by our very existence. And so anything that can make us more docile, anything that can make us more, uh, make us less threatening is going to be on the table. And it's got to be up to us to stand up and resist it. And so this is what I had to share on the topic. And I am moving on from this again. Uh, if you haven't gotten a, uh academic apartheid yet, uh, the link is in the uh, chat box. Uh, and I'm going to put it in uh, the description box when I get off. But also, if you haven't sponsored your space in my 25th book, I'm so excited about that. My 25th book, uh, Chasing the Ghost, The Quest for Black Wealth, which, again, we, we, we sort of alluded to here. Uh, click the link in the description box and go and uh, uh, sponsor. Again, there's no minimum, but the more you sponsor, the more you're able to do with your presentation. Uh, if there's somebody you want to pay tribute to, this is a great way to do it and have it published in, you know, uh, in, a, permanent, in a permanent way. Uh, so as I say that, I'm, I'm done. You guys have an unbelievable day. I'm out of here. Oh, viewing YT, before I got off, I see that, you, like you said, you had to uh, uh, research financial literacy on your own. That's awesome that you did that. That's something that uh, I think we need to push more often. Uh, is that we need to really be talking financial literacy. For those who want to check out the guide that I created for teaching youth financial literacy, I'm going to put that in the description box as well when this is over so that you can check that out as well. Uh, on that note, I'm going to get out of here. You guys have an unbelievable day. Thanks, Erlene.